property investors are back, now accounting for their highest share of loans in six years. This is great news if you're a property investor, even if you're a renter because property investors are the ones providing rental accommodation and it's property investors who will help slow down the pace of rental inflation in the years ahead if they make up a greater share of the market today. In this episode, we're going to go through the finances for property investors. Today's financing environment is tight. We have done a number of podcasts talking about the current financial conditions being some of the tightest financial conditions we have ever seen. In this episode, we're going to go through five ways that property investors can grow, scale, and continue to purchase in a borrowing power-constrained environment. If you're a property investor looking to grow and scale your portfolio, this episode is for you. Curtis, how are you? Yeah, going really well. Pretty excited for this one because ever since we started the business, talking about how to scale a portfolio has kind of been the most common thing that we speak to clients about. And like you say, it's an extremely tight environment. So um, it's probably the most difficult time to do it, um, but it's good to kind of reopen that discussion um, because, yeah, the environment's changed a little bit. So you've got to do things a little bit differently if you do want to scale. Yeah, for sure. So we have different conversations with clients and borrowers all across Australia at different points in time. And the one question that has begun this year, perhaps it's January and people are planning in January a lot. So the one question that we get asked a lot now is, Rhythm, Curtis, how do we keep going? How do we keep borrowing money? We're finding our goals don't necessarily match the borrowing power calculators and the serviceability calculators out there today. So that's what this episode's about. We're going to go through five techniques. The first one is the most obvious one. It's about you as an individual uh, and what you can do yourself to help boost your borrow power. That's where it all starts. And really, as simple as that one is, the more income you have, the easier it's going to be. That's uh, uh, truth and a fact about servicing calculators. Income is scalable and it does drive serviceability calculators. We're going to talk about a very common strategy um, circling the social media world um, and using companies and entities to keep scaling your property portfolio. You'll get our thoughts on it and how it works. Um, We're going to talk about lease doc lending, uh, which is a commercial uh, loan that is available to property investors who are capped out at servicing. We're going to talk about using your superannuation and how you can get funding within your super um, to keep growing your portfolio and how it works. And finally, uh, using different lenders. So this is what mortgage brokers do. There's a whole spectrum of lenders out there that each offer you a slightly different borrowing amount. And we can talk through how property investors can structure their loan to maximize their portfolio size using the lender spectrum. So that one's a common one that we've been using for a number of years. We'll uh, talk about that and how it looks like in 2024. Curtis, let's deep dive into number one. What can property investors do to help them increase their potential? Yeah, so I think this is the easiest one to start with, which is why we've got it as number one, because it's the one that's in your control. You just want your personal financial position to be the most streamlined and efficient as efficient as possible. So when you put your numbers through the servicing calculators, you get the absolute maximum result. So like you mentioned, obviously trying to scale your income is by far the most powerful part of your own personal finances. Um, So any income increases you can get, whether it's pay rise, second income, 
anything like that is yeah. the most powerful way to boost borrowing power. But then also on like the liability side, just cleaning up your liability position and for example, closing credit cards, you know, even if you don't use them, banks are going to look at the credit limits and the credit facilities that you have. Yeah. Um, so cleaning off things like, yeah, car loans, personal loans, credit cards, like novated leases, anything like that that's hanging around on the liability side, cleaning those off your position yeah. will get you to the, the absolute most streamlined position possible where you are absolutely maxing out your borrowing power for your given situation. Yes. And we've put this first because I think for most people, that is probably the starting point to boost borrowing power. Yeah. Review that first, tackle those things first because they're the easiest things to tackle and you don't have to necessarily compromise on lender choices and things like that. Um, if you focus on your own position first, that's kind of the first step. Yeah, definitely. So uh, adding a little bit of flavor to it. So uh, if you add $10,000 to your salary income, you're going to get straight away for an owner-occupier sort of loan, you're going to get a $50,000 owner-occupier borrowing power boost. Um, and if you're a property investor, you're probably going to look at a $100,000 uh, increase in your borrowing power when you're looking to go purchase an investment property. So there's quite a large multiple there. A $10,000 income increase gets you $50,000 in more lending or $100,000 if it's a property investor. So there's a 5 to 10 multiple depending yep. on the type of loan you're seeking. Uh, so that's income. And in terms of expenses, with borrowing power so tight at the moment, um, with assessment rates, so this is the rate that the bank is going to assume that the interest rate is when working out how much they want to lend to you, that is, banks will assume the interest rate is roughly 95 to 10% for property investors now when working out how much to lend to you. Now, if you run those numbers, you're going to find that whatever property investment you purchase, for the broad majority of them, for 99% of property investments, they're going to detract away from your borrowing power because you simply aren't going to be getting 9.5-10% yields on P&I loan repayments. That just isn't going to be the case. So borrowing powers start coming down over time for property investors. This is that serviceability wall that uh, that's a common term. Um, the more property investments you have, the more investment debt that you have, the closer to that wall you will get. Um, that is how you get to that wall. It's a ceiling and um, you are sort of getting to that point each, inv each investment loan you take on. Um, so cleaning your situation up as much as possible will help drag that ceiling up. And importantly, for the next four strategies that we talk about, um, it also helps across the board for those um, strategies as well, because it means you have more net income available, more disposable income to go and uh, seek loans for from. Yeah. And it's, I guess, with borrowing powers so tight, it does just kind of make a little bit of logical sense. Like if your goal is to grow a portfolio in the current environment, then you kind of need a really streamlined financial position. If that's, if that's your objective, that's just part of the sacrifice that's kind of required in the current environment. Potentially, you know, when rates... Um, you know, we're at 2%, maybe not, not as much of a requirement then, but now, um, if that's your objective, then, you know, cutting out things like credit cards and, you know, novated yep. leases, any, anything on the liability side that's not absolutely necessary, HEX even, um, which can be a big one for some people that's yes. a bit, bit trickier. Um, but looking at all those things is kind of a, a bit of a necessity in the current environment if you wanted if you want to push those boundaries. Yeah, for sure. One little thing I'd add, um, it's a conversation that we have a lot with borrowers in the planning phase is 
asking for loan at the time it suits your income position. So different people go through life and there's going to be periods in time where they're earning a higher income and periods in time where they're earning a lower income. So if you've just taken three months off on holidays or are in between jobs and not currently working, you're probably going to find that your borrowing capacity has been shot and it's really, really poor. Um, but there may be times that you are optimizing. Perhaps you are living at home with your parents. Um, perhaps you are uh, in a position where you've earned a lot of commission income for a year. Um, perhaps you've just worked really, really hard for that year. It's a temporary sort of situation. Banks give you 30-year loans, right? But they assess you at the time when you go and apply and they look at your position at the time you go and apply. Now, they, they do ask, are there any foreseeable changes? But that's really to capture intent for major changes like job changes and things like that. But, you know, there are times in people's lives where they earn more income than they do at other points. It's not just the upward scale. Sometimes people have higher incomes, particularly around family planning as well. So uh, for those that are listening and wondering, what can I do? I mean, if you've already optimized, um, ask the question at the best time for you. Um, and for those that are self-employed as well, uh, this one is really, really in your control. If you earn variable income or you're self-employed, you have a lot of variability to your income and the presentation of your income as well. Um, so those that are in those categories, uh, you know, speak to your broker or speak to us about how you plan for a situation about optimizing your borrowing power. And this is the number one thing, uh, our number one technique is focus on yourself really um and if you're self-employed or earning variable income you have some control here so you know speak to us and do some planning and modeling out as to hey perhaps i bring forward purchases or delay purchases around my own individual capacity yeah and bonus income is another one that we see a fair amount of you know if you you know, get an end of year bonus or an end of financial year bonus. Um, you know, if you're getting a pre-approval in June before that bonus hits versus July, when after that bonus hits, you might be looking at a totally different position. So like you say, because it's a point in time assessment that banks are running, um, if you do have any variability to your income, yep. it does pay to map that out and go, okay, over the, you know, over the 12 month income cycle that I receive, yes. like when is the best window to present this to a bank? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think that captures the, it's about you optimize your own situation. Um, one question that we've got asked a fair bit as well, like this is probably a listener question is what about these tax cuts that are coming in and even from the change that happened? Um, so a few of you have, uh, you know, texted me and reached out to us about when can these improvements in borrowing power be included? It's after 1 July. You can't include future tax cuts into your serviceability today. You'll have that change from 1 July. Yeah. First pay slip in the next financial year, basically, because your tax, the tax deduction should reduce according to, you know, to the lower tax rate. So as soon as that actually gets applied to your payslip, that's kind of when the banks are going to apply it. But while your yep. payslip is showing the old yep. tax deduction, then that's the tax deduction. Again, it's that point in time assessment that banks banks use. So if you give them a payslip from, you know, the 29th of June, then that's the payslip you gave them kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Use that. Yeah. So that's right. So essentially, one July is the yeah. time period when it will start uh, working for you and you get about a 5% owner-occupied borrowing power boost. Yeah. But the broad majority of categories, you know, one group is 6%, but really, really broad majority of people, 5% owner borrowing power boost for an individual um, uh, to your calculations if you're trying to work out what that is. So that's the about you situation. There are some variabilities that are outside your control, like tax cuts, but uh, the things that you can control are really 
um, cleaning up your own uh, financial situation, keeping your credit history pretty clean. Um, that one's you know, not necessarily an issue, mainly for our clients, but if you're in those circumstances, you want to keep your credit history clean, make sure your payments are, are all good, um, not have any unneeded liabilities, consider chopping up those credit cards, at least at the time of loan applications, they are real big drags on your serviceability and asking for lending at the right time. So if you are in a position where your serviceability is at a high point, perhaps think about bringing forward your investment planning um, and take the knowledge. And one thing that I've learned as a property investor over the last decade or so is there's always a good time to buy somewhere. And I think 2024 offers a little bit of certainty in the marketplace. So um, you know, if you're in a position where you can buy this year and you may not in future years for family planning reasons or whatever reasons you have, um, you know, it's not necessarily the worst time in the world to go and purchase something. You just need to be selective about where and what. Um, you know, there'll be something somewhere out there that is a good investment over the next few years today. Mm. So I'm sure of that. All right. Let's go through the second one. Yes. So aside from your personal position, next thing, next cab off the rank yep. is looking at the lenders that you approach yep. and how different lenders will produce different borrowing power results. So it's not for a given position, you go to every bank and I give you the same number. Um, so there's a pretty high degree of variance between what you can get from one to the next. So do you want to give a little bit of an overview of how we think about using different lenders at different times? Yeah, sure. So we categorize this into sort of three groups of lenders. There's mainstream lenders, there's um, middle-tier non-bank lenders, and then there's the aggressive lenders that um, you know, offer a lot of money to investors So and charge a premium for the privilege. Um, so for the first group, mainstream lenders, they all have very similar serviceability calculators. So uh, if you put your own position into you know, NAB, CBA, NZ, Westpac, et cetera, Funcor, you know, Macquarie, all ADIs, if you put your numbers into those serviceability calculators, you're going to get a small variance in results between lenders. You know, sometimes you can have a large variance in rare occasions when one lender takes some income and the other doesn't. But by and large, if uh, the lenders take the same income figures, then you're going to have a very similar borrowing capacity with most mainstream lenders, small variance within this group. Um, so this is what I call the green segment. When you're operating within the bank's uh, sort of serviceability frameworks, if you are in this green segment, you're a very healthy borrower in 2024. Banks are applying near 7% assessment rates. If you're going and applying for an interest-only loan, um, you know, it's nine, like ballpark, 9.5% is the assessment rate they, that they're applying. If you can get funding from banks at 9.5% assessment rates, it means you're a good borrower. That is the highest assessment rate that we've had in a long, long, long time. And it's significantly higher than our benchmark assessment rate of around 7% that we've typically had. Uh, that's the main trend group of lenders. Then there's middle-tier lenders. Um, so a group... Uh, a few non-banks in this space, um, Resi, uh, Earthmac, um, and, and, and a couple others that offer a little bit more money to property investors. And it's because of, of a few quirks to their lending calculators. Um, they pushed the boat a little bit and created a few different changes in their policy that they don't really advertise so much, but there's marginal differences in their serviceability frameworks um, for property investors associated with the gearing that they take on those investment debts um, that you know feed back into your serviceability calculator and give you more money. Um, it's not significantly more, but it is a little bit more. And the good thing about these lenders is they don't actually charge that much of a premium for the privilege of accessing a slightly higher borrowing capacity. Um, 
And if you're an owner-occupier, these lenders are great because they often have pretty sharp rates as well, um, especially if you've got a large deposit owner-occ lending. Um, you'll find that these banks are fighting for your business and offering you pretty much the same interest rate as mainstream banks, but giving you, you know, a 10, 15, 20% boost to your borrowing power. So that's the middle tier group of lenders. And then there's the aggressive lenders. So there's quite a few lenders out there. They float in and out. Um, the two common ones are sort of Pepper Liberty um, that are playing this space. And, you know, there's entrants in and out that come in with uh, serviceability taps. What these lenders do is on all of your other debts, they, instead of taking that 9.5% assessment rate on those debts, they take in the actual interest that you pay. So if you're paying 6.5% interest only on, you know, a $2 million property portfolio held with CBA, NAB, or mainstream lenders, that's what they will input into their serviceability calculator on the expense side to work out how much they will lend to you. Um, so we find that that creates a huge difference, particularly for property investors with a lot of debt to the amount of money you can borrow. Um, so these aggressive lenders charge you for all the privilege. Um, there's, there's a few of them out there, but you know interest rates are higher. They have a loading for investors. They have a loading for professional investors, anyone with more than a couple of properties. They start adding more loadings. They have a loading for interest only. And once you add all these loadings up, you know, it often starts with an eight. Right, yeah, um, in and around there, uh, or mid seven. So you know that's 100, 150 basis points higher than the market. Um, so you're paying all the privilege of accessing more money. So if you're a very, very aggressive property investor, you can use these lenders to continue to expand your portfolio. Just be aware that you are now operating clearly in a red zone, which means that you may not be able to go back to the green zone lenders and ask for changes to your existing loan term. So you know you want to extend your interest only period, you won't be able to do that anymore. So prepare for your portfolio to be P&I at the trigger point when it expires from interest only to P&I. Um, so this is an option for property investors, but it comes with risk. Yeah. That's the lay of the land about ordering of lenders. Yeah. And typically you do it in a, I would say like an orderly fashion. So you've kind of broken down you know, if we go green, yellow, red, yep. um, you would use up your borrowing power with these, with the green lenders, the mainstream lenders first, you know, that might get you your first investment property, your first couple of investment properties. You run the course with them until you're starting to hit that borrowing power limit. Yes. Then you're using these um, non-bank lenders, whether you just need a little boost, you might be going to like a Resimac, or if you're needing a big boost, you might go to Liberty, but you're using these lenders to get the additional the last property or the last two properties in the portfolio. Yes. Um, so that's the structuring and doing things in the right order is crucial to getting the maximum result. Like if you start using the aggressive lenders first, you don't really get the benefit of, you don't get the total portfolio size that you would have been able to get. So the idea is you're using the green lenders and then you're dipping into the yellow or the red lenders for that extra purchase to grow the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I call this finance multiplier. Um, what you can multiply your green zone by, um, by structuring and ordering your lenders appropriately, um, you can get a finance multiplier, you know, 50, 100% even, yep. and you can, you know, expand your portfolio. And the more lenders in this aggressive basket group, you can kind of uh, recycle them a little bit. Um, you can go from Pepper to Liberty to, you know, Granite to a whole bunch of options that exist in this space that come in and out. Um you know, there are options in this space and you can keep going um, and expand your portfolio. You know, you can 2x your portfolio size if you wanted to, but it comes with extreme risk. And we caution most people, really the majority of people, to against it um, or at least, you know, go 
um, eyes wide open with what you are doing when you're doing this and have healthy deposits and increase your risk buffers as you start growing. You know, Don't go and jump onto these lenders and also be in a position where, hey, you have no risk buffers at all and you've accounted for all your loans to be interest only. Don't go and do that with really high LVRs. That's just madness. Um, so just balance your portfolio um, and the acquisition phase and using these lenders with a sort of plan for how am I managing my portfolio here? If I'm going to stay with these lenders for the medium to long term, then have high risk buffers in place. Yeah. And like you say, you have to build in an assumption that it's not going to be easy to move back to the green lenders in a short space of time. Like if you needed to go and use a red zone lender for the next, for your purchase um, and Unless your circumstances change or unless the finance landscape changes in a significant way, the same reason why you had to use them in the first place is probably going to still exist six months later and prevent you from refinancing to you know, a, a mainstream lender. So you have to kind of budget that you're going to be sitting with these lenders for the short to medium term at least. Um, and you're a little bit beholden to them if they put through a rate increase. Um, you can't just bring them up and be like, you know, if you're a CBA customer, be like, I'm going to refinance to ANZ or I'm going to refinance to NAB. Like that's not the position you're in. So you need to have these buffers because you don't necessarily have the capacity to just pick your loan up and move it somewhere else. Um, yeah. So that, that's why it's important because you are kind of locked in with that lender um, and you need to have a buffer for if they, if they put your rate up a little bit, you have to wear it and you have to have the buffers built in that you can absorb that. And we know it. Like we... Uh, we reprice every single loan on our book uh, every six, nine, 12 months. And we've done that exercise uh, over the last couple of years. And all of the mainstream lenders had been very, very good over the past 12, 24 months in terms of the repricing offers that they're providing. Obviously, there's been a lot of refinancing, but the existing banks are coming to the table and saying, look, we'll try and get you close to the market rates. Um, and a lot of the time, refinancing, the benefit from refinancing yep. is pretty minimal. Um, people are doing it for cash packs and whatnot. But Mainstream lenders are repricing to market rates. That's the competitive dynamic at the moment. But these non-banks, they know that you've got uh, very limited options and that your hands are tied behind your back and that they can squeeze and squeeze they do. Yeah. So we have uh, plenty of people who thought it was good to go down this path, were aware of the risks, but can feel a little bit frustrated when they look at their injury and be like, age. That's ugly. Yeah. Um, why am I in this position? So um, bear that in mind that you will lose your negotiating power and the banks have a lot of negotiating power here and know that you have limited options. So bear that in mind and factor it in into your models. Add in a, you know, another 50 basis points spread yeah. to your models to work out, hey, this is where the interest rate could head because uh, these lenders may have out-of-cycle rate rises in tighter credit environments and I might be a little bit stuffed associated with that. Yeah, I think the most common piece of advice that I give to people using these lenders or looking to use these lenders is also you have to really, really think about what you're buying. So yeah. you have to factor in that, you know, you're going to be paying a high rate from the get-go. You are going to be stuck with these lenders for the medium, short to medium term. And, you know, you might cop a couple of out-of-cycle rate rises from them as well. So effectively, the financing costs associated with buying this asset is going to be higher and you have to hold increased risk buffers that it's going to be higher over time. So using these lenders isn't the sort of thing that you just dartboard and buy some generic asset somewhere and be like, oh, I just want another property. Like I'm just going to pick something like, you know, whatever, rising tide lifts all boats kind of things. I'll just pick 
you know, a generic house somewhere and I'm sure it'll be fine. For if you're going to use these lenders, you should be targeting investments that you think are going to have a significantly above average return, like the cost of getting the finance is higher. So you've got to be targeting an asset that you're like, look, I think this is a really, really good deal. I'm buying way under market or it's got some, it's got something that I really, really believe in and that I'm prepared to fork out a bit extra or a lot extra in order to own it. Um, So it's a bit of a different dynamic to, you know, if you're just getting the absolute best rate from a mainstream bank and maybe you're just like, look, I want a bit of exposure to the property market. I want to hold an investment property. I'm going to buy a house in Brisbane or Melbourne or something. Yeah. That's not the... That's not necessarily the approach that you should be taking when you're pushing the boat out this far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's like swimming out in the ocean, a little bit naked, and being like, wow, I've gone really, really far here. Hopefully, the sharks don't come and circle around yeah. me because uh, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, so that you've, you've, is, is a good way to express it. Yeah, you've got to be in it for an asset that you really think is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, that is really, really. Uh, Smart advice there, Curtis. I just want to segue into the owner-occupier space a little bit here. Yeah. Um, so what you can do with current um, credit conditions, and we've done a pod on this, is um, you can use these lenders, get a little bit of a boost to your borrowing power, and then refinance back after 12 months using a 1% assessment rate that some lenders have. Now, this policy exists today, but who knows if it's going to exist all the time. Um, that means that you're assessed at a, instead of a 9.5 assessment rate, you'll be reassessed when you're refinancing at around a 7 7.5% interest rate. Now, what that allows for owner-occupiers, if you're in a circumstance where you need to push the boat beyond your green zone a little bit to go and make your dreams happen and to buy the right asset for you and your family, our general advice and my advice being in that position as a dad, as a family man, as a Sydney sider, is sometimes you've got to make decisions like that and have a plan to circle back to mainstream lenders for a longer haul. Um, so when you're buying that dream home, that family home, it's generally the time where your finances are stretched the most, particularly in Sydney. You, you might be spending you know, one, two, three million dollars on an owner-occupied home to go and make it happen, but your borrowing power doesn't quite let you get there. You can use these sort of finance techniques to help you get there and plan for a movement back um, by using these mainstream lenders or, you know, potential income rises, et cetera, over a period of time. So we have a lot of conversations with Sydney sides and Melbourneites in particular who are trying to buy their own home and are finding that lending conditions are extremely tight at the moment, particularly relative to house prices. Um, borrowing piles down nearly 35%, house prices at their peaks. That's a tricky combination for a lot of Sydney siders and Melbourneites they can use this sort of finance planning that I call it, um, use the lender spectrum uh, and modeling out how do you actually get back and what does your borrowing power look like at those assessment rates. You can do that planning and potentially make that decision. Go in eyes wide open and have a clear plan for how you refinance back if you go and take this fairly aggressive approach. I just understand that there is more of a need for it in this 
tough financing environment and really tough property market out there where you have to pay really high prices and you're getting smaller debt sizes. It's a tricky combination and these tools can help you manage that debt size problem. All right. I think that's really good advice and yeah, particular for owner occupiers as well. So let's leave it there for this podcast. Yeah. Like you mentioned, we've got five strategies so that by my <laughs> super math skill, that means there's three to go. Yeah. So um, yeah, tune in for the next one um, or if it's already been released, just click next um, and the next three strategies will be coming up. Yes. So this episode, we've shortened down to be about what you can do and what we can do with you operating with just a standard approach. This encapsulates 95% of listeners and 95% of you. The next episode is for those who want to know how to do more and how to get more um, and to go through the advanced financing techniques. So we're going to go through that 